0: Hey, it's good to be with you again tonight. I hope, uh, I, hope, I hope week four and five, is it week four or week five? Ah, oh, whatever it is. It's, got, it's our fourth large group. It's good to see you all tonight. Hope you all have had a, uh, I hope you've had a good week. Uh, and I hope that, I hope that uh, the semester is starting, continuing well for you. Hey, just in case um, you're looking for a church, I go to church here and it's great. If you like the things that you see and hear in RUF, um, the church here uh, is similar in vibe, so uh, if you're interested, we meet at, on Sundays at 10. Thanks, Michaela. And, um, you know, I'd love, to, yeah, I'd love to see if you're looking for a, a place to worship uh, with the whole body of Christ. So, um, yeah, come out if you are not, if, you're, uh, if you can't feel the vibe here, then I'd love to help find you a church. That's super important. Um, so, we're going to continue looking at the book of Acts tonight, and... Um, So if you have a Bible, turn to Acts chapter 4. And if you're new to RUF, we're studying the book of Acts because it applies in pretty uncanny ways to to our experience as Christians today. It's it's actually pretty remarkable the more I, I study it. It shows us what Christian life can and should look like. And it shows us how God has a plan to protect and grow his church, even when the church, when Christians can be real jerks to each other, to the watching world and when uh, the watching world oppresses and, abu- and abuses the church and um, so if you're as you remember last week we were seeing the church was just growing like gangbusters growing by thousands of people each each uh, each time that the, that the apostles preached or worked and and people are coming in and they're loving each other well they're loving each other with intimacy and hostility and it's just exploding right and today, what we're going to see is, uh, we're going to see actually the beginnings of, of, of opposition, of hostility to the church as it grows. And how does the church, or more importantly, how does the Holy Spirit empower this community of Christians uh, in the midst of now new opposition from outside of the church? Next week, we'll start to look at opposition inside the church. Um, so this week's things start to get hard for the church, and we see the Holy Spirit work for the church, and we see how the Holy Spirit continues to work for us as Christians today. Um, so uh, tonight, if we had a big point, we see that the uh, the oppression, there's oppression from outside the Holy, the uh, the church. And the Holy Spirit empowers His people, both then and now to speak the gospel with boldness. And so, Uh, Despite opposition, Christians are called and empowered, called and empowered to preach the gospel of salvation in Jesus. So we'll look at that in three ways. We're going to look at the the new, but also the old opposition, the apostles' bold response and our response. Um, So uh, let me read the uh, text and we'll dive in. Um, This is Acts chapter four, and we're just going to read 22 verses, uh, but we'll, we'll look at other parts of it. And as they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them and greatly annoyed annoyed that they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. And many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of men came to about 5,000. On the next day their rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas the high priest, and Caiaphas, and John, and Alexander, all who were in the high priestly family. And when they had set them in the midst, they inquired, By what power, or by what name, did you do this? And Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people of elders, if we we are being examined today concerning the good deed done to a crippled man, we'll talk about that in just a sec, how... um, By what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel, that is, by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead. By him this man is standing before you. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved." Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived they were uneducated, common men, they were astonished, and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. But seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they said nothing; they had nothing to say in opposition. But when they had commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another, saying, What shall we do with these men? For a notable son has, sign has been performed um, through them for that a notable sign has been performed through them is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But in order that it, may not spread, that it may spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in this name. So they called them and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge but we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. And when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them, because of, but because of the people, for they were all praising God for what had happened. For the man who, on whom this sign of healing had been performed was more than 40 years old. Let me pray. Father in heaven, thanks that we can be here tonight and that we can be warm and we can look at your word. I pray that your word would warm our hearts. Uh, and that we would be equipped for your service tonight, this week, this semester, and uh, to whatever you call us to. It's in Jesus' name. I pray. Amen. So, uh, as I'm talking up here, if you have thoughts, questions, if you're like, I don't like what you just said, shoot me a text, and uh, we will. Uh, you, the, the piece of paper is on your uh, mind. The phone number is on your piece of paper, or I think you all have my phone number, and uh, and I'll and I'll interact with those um, questions. Oh, also, ooh, my phone number's up there. Novel. So, anyways. Um, we're going to look at here the new, but also the old opposition. The apostles' response to that opposition and how it applies to us today. So, a little bit of background in Acts chapter three, just before what we had just read. Um, this is the, you know a whole, a whole. There's obviously a lot of background into what has just happened, what we just read about. And so, in Acts chapter three, right after um, the apostles were gathering and, and and celebrating together, Peter and John, who were kind of the leaders of the apostles. Uh, are going into the temple, and as they're going into the temple, they see a man who's paralyzed and who's begging for a handout for money, and they see him, and they say, hey, um, we can probably do something about this, and so they go up to him, and they, uh, they, they say, hey, in the name of Jesus, stand up, and so the guy who's been paralyzed, as we see in this, for 40 years, he stands up, and he starts running around and dancing and praising God and everybody who's like man we know this dude this guy's been begging for the last 40 years and all of a sudden he's walking and so uh, John and Peter use this as an opportunity to start proclaiming the gospel and they start saying hey it's not us who does this it's actually through the power of Jesus Christ who is God himself raised from the dead that we're doing this and and uh, people are super interested in this because they see a dude who wasn't walking and now all of a sudden he is walking and if you have a question about how the miraculous things can happen, shoot me a text. That's not what I want to focus on tonight. Um, and, and so people are interacting with this fairly, I mean, absolutely miraculous event. And that's where our story picks up. So the, uh, the, 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 the rulers of the temple, they see this and they start to get threatened by it, right? You can see in verses 1 and 2, as they, that's John and Peter, were speaking, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them greatly annoyed that they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. Um, and so it says here that it was the chief the priests, the Sadducees and the elders um, and so basically what's interesting that, that Luke lists the Sadducees because the Sadducees were a, a political mostly a political organization but also sort of a theological group that have had a lot of vested interest in keeping the peace because they were the ones who were in power with the ruling political party but they also denied the possibility of a resurrection from the dead and so the uh, the apostles are up here talking about hey jesus christ came back from the dead and they were like no way and these guys are a threat to us politically because they're starting to attract people away from our system our power and so they uh, they say well what are we going to do well we we should arrest them so they arrest they arrest them and what do they do it's interesting. They, they, they keep them in jail overnight, and then they come and they have a kind of a trial. And, and look what they say in verse 7. When they had set them before them in the midst, they say, by what power or by what, by what name do you do this? And, and that's an interesting, interesting question, um, because they're recognizing clearly that there is more than just like social momentum behind this. They see a dude who didn't walk yesterday, who's walking today, and they say, hey, there's a power at work in here. There's a power at work in here. They recognize that Christianity is um, a real spiritual power in this, and it's interesting because they see that as a threat to their own establishment and to their power, um, and, 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 and this is the first time that we see the, the church begin to really face opposition that there's this new opposition up until now the church has just been growing gangbusters like mushrooms and now there's this combining of political and social and spiritual forces that are coming up and presenting a threat and a opposition sort of an open opposition to the christians and so they arrest them they do time in jail they have questions and there's eventually there's commands to preach them But more than just this question of by what power, behind that is a a truth about the Christian religion, a, a truth about the Christian faith, which is super important to recognize, and it's this, that there has always been a power struggle with the Christian faith, with the faith of the Bible. That there's always been a cosmic struggle between those who follow Jesus and his kingdom, and other spiritual powers, other spiritual forces. The Bible tells us that there are evil, wicked spiritual forces that would seek to destroy and demolish Christ and his kingdom. And Jesus himself tells us in John 16, he says, look, here's the reality. The world hates me. The world has been opposed to me from the beginning, and they're gonna do the same thing to my followers. Paul tells us, he says, it's not against human forces that the church struggles, but it's against cosmic and evil and wicked forces, real forces of evil that war against us. P- Peter, Peter who, who is encountering, is in this very struggle right here. He says, hey, Christian church, don't be surprised when, when persecution and pain and trials happen to you. Don't be surprised because there are real spiritual forces that are opposed to you. And John, in his book, Revelation, the other one here, he tells us later on, he says, he kind of peels back the the curtain on this and says in Revelation that Satan himself is warring against the church constantly, constantly seeking to destroy anyone who follows Christ. And here tonight, we begin to see that opposition encountering the church for the first time. And so it's a new challenge to the church, but also actually it's a really old opposition to the church it's a really old it's always been there think of it this way one of my favorite book series is lord of the rings i love it i try to read the lord of the rings every year because it's an incredible story um and but and what's so interesting is you read the lord of the rings and you're like wow what an epic story what an awesome you know picture of conflict and good versus evil and and it just seems like the perfect story and then you read The Silmarillion, <laughs> and you're just like, oh my goodness, The Lord of the Rings is like the back 5% of a gigantic story that J.R.R. Tolkien, the author of The Lord of the Rings, wrote. And that's just sort of like, this is like the back bookend. Even the battles in that one are sort of little skirmishes compared to the massive cosmic battles that have been going on in Middle-earth long before the events of lord of the rings happen right and in fact you know this and what we see is like what we see in lord of the rings as this battle between sauron and elves and men is actually a much smaller battle in for the entire life vitality core of all of middle earth and that it's a battle for the the it's a battle for the soul of middle earth And, and it's interesting i think tolkien understood Tolkien understood that the the very core of reality, and he tells this sort of in in the analogous part, uh, the analogy part of the longs, the core of reality is one of cosmic struggle between the good guys and the bad guys. And that story is long and deep and old. Tolkien understood that there's an old cosmic battle of spiritual conflict between the kingdom of Christ and the kingdom of Satan. And here now in Acts, we begin to see the kingdom of Satan beginning to really attack and go after this community of Christians that is just forming after Jesus. In Acts chapter 5, just a, just a chapter later, their conflict invades. It comes into the church. And a, a, a Christian named Ananias is incredibly greedy and sinful. And what does Peter say to him when he comes to Ananias? He doesn't say, hey, why did you do this thing? He says... Why did Satan invade your heart? He says very explicitly that there is so much more happening underneath the surface of the political rulers don't like the Christians. It's, there is a conflict between kingdoms here. That's been going on for the whole Bible. All the way since Genesis 3 when Satan invades into the garden and causes Adam and Eve, tempts Adam and Eve to sin that that battle has been raging. And so it's a new battle for the church here, but it's also a much older battle that's been going on for all of, all of history, the Bible tells us. And so how, does, how do the apostles encounter this new but also this old opposition? Well, they preach with boldness and they pray with boldness. They preach with boldness and they pray with boldness. Look at verse 8. Peter said filled with the then Peter filled with the holy spirit said rulers of the people to the elders and then he goes on and gives his speech and and I want to pause there because right there was something very important and I hope you saw it is that Luke is very clear to say that, that the apostles are not alone in this conflict they're not by themselves they're not hung out to dry in what is happening here. That in the midst of this pitched conflict that's been going on for so long, the Holy Spirit, who is God himself, comes and descends onto, the, in, onto Peter in a powerful way that, gives, that empowers him and gives him the resources, spiritually, with his language, to, inve- to, to engage in this conflict. Luke intentionally tells us that this is a spiritual battle and that nothing less than God himself is equipping Peter in this conflict, that the Holy Spirit is the presence of God to aid and equip Peter and John. But second, notice what what the content of their speech is. Notice what Peter does here. He Mm -hmm. says, verse 9, he says, If we are being examined today concerning the good deed done to a crippled man... By what means this man has been healed? Let it be known to all of you that, and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing. This Jesus is the stone that the, that was rejected by you. And then verse 12, that In him and in, in there is salvation in no one else. Notice what Peter does so effectively here. He takes sort of the, the, the hot button issue, which is, this dude who wasn't walking and is now walking, and he throws it straight. He just takes a beeline from that event to who Jesus is. He doesn't say like, hey, look what we did. Look, how, look, what, look, look what act I did. Or hey, let me just tell you about the nuts and bolts of how this guy is walking. He goes straight to Jesus, but in particular, he goes straight to the resurrection. The thing that is the most powerful assault on the spiritual evil forces that are going against him. He says, I'm not going da- to waste your time. I'm going to tell you right off the bat that everything that I'm talking about, everything that we are about is Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Jesus, the one who saves us, Christ the Messiah of Nazareth. He's a real human being who died a real death and then came back to life. And he says, and actually not only did those things happen, but let me interpret what those things meant to you. Verse 12, that he died and came back to life for the salvation of everyone who trusts in him. There is salvation in no one else and no other name under heaven is given among men by which we must be saved. That, that, that Verse 12 becomes this, this theological core for everything that Peter and John are about. They're saying, hey, we care that this guy walks again. We care about addressing the social and political issues. But you know what we're most serious about? The person and the work of Jesus Christ in his death and resurrection. They speak with boldness and courage, and they know that they're going to get reprimanded. They're going straight at the Sadducees. Sadducees say, hey, resurrection is impossible. Dead people don't come back to life. And they say, the only thing that we're going to talk about is the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. The apostles respond to this opposition by relying and being filled with the Holy Spirit and then going straight to the core of the gospel, Jesus' resurrection. And look how the people respond in verse 13. When they saw the boldness, the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished. Which is interesting because John and Peter, they don't really have the skills or the training in rhetoric to be able to do this. In fact, the word common there, the word in Greek is the word that we get our word idiot from. And so these guys are not like the high point of rhetorical skill. They're not the, they're not the best academics or, or theologians. And yet they are speaking with great boldness, with great power, with great effect even in the midst of this opposition, even in the midst of this pitched battle. And that word boldness, it appears over and over again in this little story that we're looking at. Just after Peter and John are released, they gather together with the other Christians and they start praying desperately. When they're released, they go back to their friends and uh, they pray and they say, uh, in part of their prayer, they say, they say, Lord, we need boldness. We need your Holy Spirit to empower us to keep doing this. In verse 29 of chapter 4, they say, Look upon their threats and grant your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. And Luke tells us in verse 31, he says, When they had prayed, the place that they were gathered together was shaken and they were filled with the Holy Spirit. Here's God himself equipping them to do this. And they continued, it says, to speak the word of God with boldness. So what's going on here? How did they respond to this opposition? They preached with boldness, and they preached one thing. Jesus Christ and him crucified, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit. No one other than God himself comes. It's not like Christ says like, hey, this is gonna get really hard, and I hope you can drum up the courage and drum up the power to endure it. No, he says, in John, he tells us that, I will send my Holy Spirit to equip you for everything that you need my friends, in the conflict that's ahead. That even in a conflict of spiritual and social and political oppression, the apostles preach the gospel with boldness, boldness, and they go back to the grace and power of God's resurrection. So we see first that there's a new opposition. It's actually a really old opposition. Two, we see how they respond, that they preach and pray with boldness. And so three, what do we learn from this? Well, first of all, this is super important. We learn that We're never alone as Christians. That's what's true of Jesus' apostles, his disciples, is true of us. That we're still in this pitched conflict, spiritual conflict. Don't you dare think that the evil one is not active on that campus. And more importantly, don't you dare think that you are alone in the midst of that conflict. That as a Christian, the Holy Spirit works in and through you more powerfully than you're ever possibly aware of and there's so much hope and comfort in that in john 16 jesus says the world is going to hate you and then he says the spirit the holy spirit will come and equip and encourage and empower you to preach to be a christian in the midst of the conflict a couple of days ago i was watching lion king with phoebe for the first time y'all heard this before It's, it's a great movie better than I remember it, but there's that sweet moment where Simba is going to the elephant cave and he uh, he finds the hyena or the hyenas find him and they're laughing at him and there's, they're going to destroy him and he just is backed into a corner and he kind of roars at them and he's kind of and they just laugh at him. It's a total failure. And they're like, is that all you got? And I'm not going to try and imitate Whoopi Goldberg. And, and she's like, that's all you've got? And he tries again. And at that moment, Mufasa shows up, and he just roars at them, and the hyenas are terrified. And at that moment, Mufasa shows up and just just tears them a new one and rescues them. And it's such a sweet picture of what the Christian life with the Holy Spirit is. Is that by ourselves, we're just a scrappy little thing that has no ability to, 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 to be in the battle that we find ourselves in but when we when we go out and we give when we trust in what the holy spirit is we preach Jesus Christ and his crucified the holy spirit is present with us with power so that people who shouldn't be able to do this with people who are just like us not the best can speak with power and boldness because the holy spirit is the one at work in and through us we can trust the Holy Spirit will be in and with us, especially in moments when we get to share our faith or defend our God, the faith. You're not alone in this. Second thing, we learn that we are to called to care for our others and our truest needs. Care and provide. So think of what the apostles, what the disciples did here. They cared about this crippled man's needs. He needed to walk, and they were all about healing him in that you know but 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 they always drove to his truest need which was salvation they always pointed their audience to the truest need that they have that we have which is salvation from our souls salvation from our sin he says he says yes we want to we want to heal this man we were all about him walking again but what we are most careful what we care most about is their salvation there is no there is salvation in no one else but in Jesus Christ in his name. The apostles wanted to heal this, but they they wanted to provide for his felt needs, that is his paralysis, but they also pointed him and everyone else to their more urgent needs, that is their need for salvation from sin, by faith in Jesus and his resurrection. And there's a model for us in that. It's that we, we ought to care for people in their felt needs. We ought to care for people in the things that they say, I'm, I'm lonely, I'm depressed, I'm desperate. And we ought to point them to their truest need, which is Jesus Christ and him crucified. Think of it in a medical term. The medical community will always treat both the symptoms and the illness, but what is their first goal? The actual illness. Like if you were to go into the doctor or the ER and you have appendicitis, and they're just like, oh yeah, you're, you have appendicitis, you know what we're going to do? We're going to give you a bunch of pain medicine so it doesn't hurt anymore. They're just treating the symptoms. They're treating your felt needs. You would die. Miserably. But know what a doctor, a good doctor, will come in and say, hey, we're going to treat your felt needs, that's the pain, but actually we're going to have to do something even more drastic. That's surgery. We have to treat the real illness underneath that even more so. So we as Christians, we are to care for the felt needs of our friends, the felt needs of our family, the felt needs of our community, but we're always to point them to their truest need, which is reconciliation with Jesus Christ, the salvation. And and, and I'll I'll just kind of pull back the the curtain a little bit on, on how I try to think about caring for you all when I'm meeting with you in When I'm thinking about what does RUF need to hear? Or what do you need to hear? I want to care and shepherd your felt needs. I want to talk about loneliness and depression and sadness. And all the things that are making college really, really hard today. I'm present with you in those things. And I want to drive and push each one of you towards what I think the Bible says are your truest needs. Which is the mortification, the killing of your sin that you would grow to know Jesus more and more, that you would grow to trust in who he is, that you would grow to be vital trees of righteousness, as Psalm 1 says. That's what the Bible says is your truest need. And so if you're like, why does Jonathan always want to talk about the gospel? Because the Bible tells us that's what you and I need more than anything. So we see here that they care for their others' needs, but they also they care for their felt needs, but also their truest needs. And third... What do we see? What do we learn from this? We we are called to pray and speak with boldness. Verse 20 is amazing. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. What are they saying here? They say, look, we can't not tell other people about what we saw, which is this. We saw a dude who died on a cross. He was dead. The water and the blood was coagulating in his system. And then he came back to life three years later. We can't not talk about that. It's too... And if, and if it really... If verse 12 is what it says it is, y'all, that Jesus Christ is the only way to salvation, they say we can't not talk about that. We can't not be in our friends, in our community, saying... Jesus Christ is the one who is making all these things right. Jesus Christ is the king. He's the the Aragon who's coming to finally destroy the wicked forces. He's the Mufasa who's coming to bring bring, bring peace back to the the pride lands. He's he's the king who's going to defeat Satan and all his forces. How can we not tell our friends about that? Even if you tell us You can't do this. We're going to keep doing it because if it's true, it's the only and best news that our world has. That's the same is true for us. How can we not invite our friends, our co-workers, our family who don't know Christ into this faith? Say, I love you enough to tell you that Jesus loves you. Even when they know, even when we know and can anticipate rejection, they know. They know that the Sadducees are gonna, they're gonna, you know. And it gets worse. Just a chapter later, this happens. The same thing happens again, and this time they get arrested and beaten up for it. They get, they get flogged for it. And then one chapter later, it happens again, and somebody gets killed over it. It just gets. I mean, the, Annie, the opposition gets worse, and they say, "How can we not tell?" Them? The same is true for us when we encounter who Christ is the risen king full of grace and love and compassion and salvation. Like, I want to tell my friends about it. This passage, we see that the church faces opposition. It's a new opposition that's a very old opposition. It's it's Satan who's been warring against the church. He's been warring against you for as long as you've been alive. And yet we also see that the Holy Spirit is more powerful and more active to equip his first followers and his followers today in New Mexico to pray and speak with boldness. How can we not do that? How can can you be the person who is slowly but surely internalizing, soaking in the sweet goodness of the gospel and then telling your friends about it? That's what what we're we're about. That's what we're about as Christians. So um, I pray that you would soak in that and I pray that it would warm your heart and that you you would speak with boldness. I want us to be a community where that happens. And so um, let's work at that. Let's study the resurrection. Let's pray about it and see what the Holy Spirit does. So uh, let me pray for us. Father in heaven, thanks for this time. We pray that you would work in and through us. We're thankful that your Holy Spirit does work in and through us, that we're not on our own, stuck down here um, to muddle through, but that you promise and equip us and then send us out. I pray that that would be true of me. You start with me, Lord. Make me... Bold to preach, make me bold to love and care for these these people here and then those that you put in our path. Uh, it's in Jesus name that I pray. Amen.